you ready? Okay. Um, that wasn't too many seconds. Um, in 11 through 17, we have the descendants of whom? Gad. Now, Gad settled where? Yeah, again, on the east side of the Jordan. Now, I want you to notice something. Um, in, uh, well, okay. Uh, let's not do that yet. Um, and then in 18 to 26, we have the descendants through whom? Through the half-tribe of Manasseh, really. And uh, the half-tribe that's on the right-hand side of the Jordan. Now, I, we need to read part of this. This is uh, interesting. Would somebody read 18 to 22? Through 22. They made war with the Hagrites. Uh, and some guys. Yeah, there you go. Mm -hmm. And they were helped against them, and the Hagrites were delivered into their hand, and all who were with them, for they cried out to God in the battle. He, he heeded their prayer, because they put their trust in him. Then they took away their livestock, 50,000 of their camels, 250,000 of their sheep, and 2,000 of their donkeys. Also, 100,000 of their men, for many fell dead because the war was God, and they dwelt in their place until the captivity. Now, that's very helpful to us. We've got these two and a half tribes that get together an army. How many are in their army? Almost 45,000. 45, Who do they fight against? The Hagarites and some other guys. How many, how many are in the army of the Hagrites, etc.? At least how many? At least 100,000 men, because 100,000 men were killed of them. I don't know how many escaped. But, uh, so, uh, they're outnumbered badly. What do you do when you're, when you're in battle facing insurmountable odds? Pray. Pray, absolutely. And that's what we're going to see in, in Chronicles over and over again. Is there hope for an army that's outnumbered more than two to one? Yeah, there's hope in the Lord. And so what did they do? They cried out to God in the battle, and what happened? He answered their prayer. He delivered them because they trusted in him. And look at the spoil they got in verse 21. That just tells you something about the greatness of the victory. And, uh, you know... Impressive military credentials are not the deciding factor in battle. It's God. He, you know, how badly, uh, you know, how, how bad an odds can God still win in? How badly can you be outnumbered and God just can't handle it? Ever thought about that? There are any, there are, are there any examples of, of, Armies that were just really badly outnumbered and God gave them the victory? Mm -hmm. Who? Gideon. Gideon. How badly outnumbered was he? Yeah, that's pretty bad. Jonathan and his armor bearer. Jonathan and his armor bearer. How badly outnumbered were they? Two to, two to, two to a whole nation of army. Yeah. There was one that killed 185,000. Yeah, and didn't even 
Yeah, one angel versus 185,000. Um, we're going to read one, hopefully, if we get this far, in Second Chronicles 20. There was, no, it's Jehoshaphat. There was, n- there was no battle. You know, God won that one single-handedly. He, he, sent, his, uh, he sent the army of Israel in uh, as, a, as a chorale, playing instruments and singing. They didn't take weapons, because the job was already done by the Lord. The Lord doesn't even need anybody on his side. You know, he's, he's able to win regardless of the odds against him. And, and that's what you see here. You may be outnumbered. You may be facing something that's really, you know, overwhelming. Turn to the Lord. Trust in him, and he answers the prayers. And uh, that's, that's the thing that, that we see that's, uh, you know, encouraging to us in this. Do you have some comments and questions on, on this little story? This is the longest little story in these genealogies in the first nine chapters. Anything you want to say about it or comment about? It just interests me that how often they forget God and then all of a sudden they'd be in trouble when they would go to God. And he would still deliver. You know? The Lord is very patient. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see that over and over again. That's exactly right. That's a good observation. And so in 23 and 24, we see the half-tribe of Manasseh living in the land and some things about them. But then would somebody read 25 and 26? And they were unfaithful to God, of their fathers, who played, played the harlot after the gods of the peoples of the land, whom God had destroyed before them. The God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Kul, king of Assyria, that is, uh, some guy, king of Assyria, he carried the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, and the captivity. Yes. He took them into... Wherever. Uh, yeah. yeah. Excellent. Here's what happens to these two and a half tribes. This is the destiny, you know, of them. What did they do? They, they disobeyed God by doing what? Worshipping which other gods, believe it or not? The ones of the peoples of the land that they had conquered. If you're going to worship a set of gods, for crying out loud, why do you do it of the nation you just beat? You know, their gods wouldn't help. They didn't help them. But that's what they do. They let the Canaanites, the defeated peoples, influenced them to worship those gods, and therefore God was angry with them, and who did God use to take them into captivity? Tiglath Pileser, or Pilneser in this case, uh, or otherwise known as Paul, if I had a name like Tiglath Pileser, I think I'd want to be called Paul too, who carried them into captivity. Uh, the Assyrian captivity. Now remember, Assyria carried the northern kingdom into captivity. In, the northern kingdom includes that area on the right-hand side of the Jordan River. What is the name we often give to that whole section on the right-hand side of the Jordan River? Transjordan, that's one thing. Some of you who have studied with me will know another word. What? Gilead, yeah. I I think we can just kind of sum that side up as Gilead or Transjordan. Now look at the end of verse 6, back in in chapter 5. The the tribe of Reuben was carried away into exile by the king of Assyria. Then 22, uh, they settled in their place until the exile. Now verse 26, again we mention the exile for these two and a half tribes. That's the, the real tragedy 
of, of chapter 5 is that those two and a half tribes were carried into exile by the Assyrians. Any comments or questions on chapter 5? When did this happen? Seven, 722 or maybe a little before. It may well be that Tiglath-Pileser actually carried this Transjordanian Aryan into captivity before he conquered Israel itself in 722. There's also a reference in like 2 Kings 15, uh, I believe verse 29, that would be an indication that uh, the Assyrians may have carried some of the northern parts of Israel into captivity, uh, including Gilead, uh, 2 Kings uh, 15, 29, prior to the time that they conquered Israel itself. Other comments and questions on through chapter 5? Okay. Chapter 6, we focus on another tribe. Which tribe is this one? The Levites. And we said why the Levites are so important? Yes, they taught the people. That's important. And what else was important about the Levites? The priestly tribe, and that's really important, especially in the books of Chronicles. Um, there were only two families whose descendants were listed all the way down to the exile. David's family and Aaron's family. Because those are the two key families, the kings and, and the priests. And uh, so that's, that's why we've got this. And he focuses quickly here on the priests. We go in verse 1, the sons of Levi, Gershon, Korath, and Merari. But we immediately focus on the main one first. Remember, that's what we're doing in this. That's Kohath, verse 2, including his descendant Amram, verse 3. Amram has three, son, three children, Aaron, Moses, and Miriam. And we immediately go to the sons of Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar, and then to the priests through Eliezer, starting in verse uh, 4. So we quickly focus on the priestly line in 1 through 15. Um, there is a special note in verse 10 about which priest? Why is he important? Yes, he was the priest when the temple was built, and that's a really key thing in Chronicles. And then we come 16 to 30, that's the genealogy of the Levites in general. And then in 31 to 48 the genealogy of those who directed the song service uh, in, the, in the tabernacle, in the temple. Now, verse 31, these are the ones whom David appointed over the service of song in the house of the Lord after the ark rested there. They ministered with song before the tabernacle and the tent of meeting until Solomon had built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. They served their office according to their order. The singing is very important uh, in, in these books. In 49 to 53, the genealogy of the high priests, Aaron and his sons, uh, and you can see those. And then in 54 to 60, the cities of the priests, and in 61 to 81, the cities of the Levites. This whole chapter is the descendants of the Levites, giving priority to the priests, but also to the other Levites, and then showing you where they lived. Remember, how many, how many cities did the Levites get? 48. How did they distribute those 48? All over, roughly they distributed those 48 in what way? Evenly. How would it be even? 
about four to a tribe. There's a couple of variations from that, but there were about four cities per tribe. Uh, it's about the way that worked. All right. Um, any questions and comments on chapter six? All right. Chapter 7, we go now not so much to the south and east for the tribes of like Simeon, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now we're going north of Judah to tribes like chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, which is? Yes. Uh, The focus is on Issachar. Um, Where did Issachar settle? Way up north, yeah. And then in 6 through 12, the focus is on who? On Benjamin. We're going to men- we mentioned Benjamin here, but we're going to have a whole chapter on Benjamin in chapter 8. Uh, the emphasis here in these uh, Issachar and Benjamin is on the military uh, aspect of these tribes. And then in verse 13, we just give one verse to who? Naphtali. Those tribes farther north just get less mentioned. And then in 14 to 19, we focus on who? Manasseh. I thought we already had Manasseh. This is the half on the right, the left-hand side of the Jordan River, the half on the main side of the Jordan River. And then in 20 through 29, we focus on who? Ephraim. Um, there are a couple of things that might be worth noting here. Uh, look at um, verse 21. Zabed his son, some other his son, and Ezer and Eliad, whom the men of Gath who were born in the land killed because they came down to take their livestock. Their father Ephraim mourned many days, and his relatives came to comfort him. Then he went into his wife, and she conceived and bore a son, and he named him Beriah, because misfortune had come upon his house. Uh, I'm glad that's not what happened to me. Uh, how would you like to have the name Beriah, which means misfortune? Uh, but I guess he's still grieving over the loss of his son that was killed. Um, and we come down in this genealogy of Ephraim in verse 27 to a significant character. Who's that? Joshua. Joshua was a descendant of uh, Ephraim. And then in verses 30 to 40, we have the tribe of Asher. Now, we have had 12 tribes, but there's two who are missing. Who are they? Zebulun and Dan. Now, if we had 12 and two are missing, how did we have 12? Manasseh was mentioned on both sides, so they, he's mentioned twice, and Ephraim's already one of the 12 tribes. Levi. Levi. Now, you see how this basically works? Let me say a couple things just about the 12 tribes um, and how that normally works. You've got the 12 sons of Jacob, but the 12 sons of Jacob are not identical to the 12 tribes. They're not identical because Levi's not counted as one of the 12 tribes. They receive the, the cities, not territory. And Joseph is not counted as one of the 12 tribes. His two sons are, Manasseh and Ephraim. So you subtract Levi, you subtract Joseph, you add Manasseh, you add Ephraim, you're back to 12. Now in this genealogy, you add back in Levi and you double Manasseh, you add him in another time, and to keep with the 12, you take out Dan and you take out Zebulun. 
Now, uh, I'll tell you why I think they took out Dan, and you tell me why you think they took out Zebulun. <laughs> I don't know about Zebulun. I think I can tell you why they took out Dan. In fact, this is not the only time that Dan is taken out. Would you know why they took out Dan? They never took their territory. Their territory was over there on the left of Ephraim. They ended up migrating up to the north and conquering the city of Laish. You can read about that in Judges chapter 17 and 18. And they ended up setting, their own worship, uh, setting up their own worship system up there in Dan. Uh, and then later Dan had fame or was infamous perhaps for being one of two main cities for the worship of Jeroboam. Where Jeroboam put what? The golden calves. It was at Dan and Bethel. And so Dan just was kind of a renegade tribe all the way around. Never took their inheritance. Ended up setting up their own worship system. Later becoming the place of uh, the golden calf worship. And so there are times when Dan just didn't even consider it as a tribe. Why we didn't count Zebulun, I don't know. Maybe just make it 12. Or maybe there's another reason. Uh, but that's, that's how these uh, tribes work out through chapter 7. Any comments or questions through chapter 7? Alright, chapter 8, we have the genealogy of who? Benjamin. In much more detail now. Um, I'm not going to go into much detail about it, though. You can read that uh, if you like and uh, memorize the names if you want to. I don't care. But we come down to verse 33, this is what becomes interesting for us. Nur became the father of Kish. Kish became the father of Saul. Saul became the father of Jonathan, Malkishua, Benadab, and Eshbaal. Uh, we know Eshbaal as who? Ishbosheth. Can I take a moment to explain that to you? Sure. I was glad you asked. Um, why is Eshbaal normally known as Ishbosheth? Some of you know, if you've studied some things with me, Baal meant master or lord. Eshbaal meant man of the lord. Esh is man. But Baal later became uh, famous for what? The idol god, Baal. And they didn't even want to say the name Baal in a name, so they put Bosheth in, which means like shame or emptiness. So instead of Ishbaal, in the general account in Kings, they call him Man of Shame, Ishbosheth. Not the name his daddy gave him, but the name they ended up putting in because they didn't want to say Baal. You know, that was bad uh, because of Baal's later associations. That's also true now in 34, 834. The son of Jonathan was Merabael, and Merabael became the father of Micah. But, but Merabael, we know as who? Mephibosheth. Uh, so, that's uh, who they are. And uh, you have the genealogy then of, uh, of Saul here in 33 to 40. All right. Uh, do you have questions or comments about chapter 8? All right. Chapter 9 are the uh, people uh, that return to Jerusalem. Look at chapter 9, verse 1. So all Israel was enrolled by genealogies, and behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel. And Judah was carried away into exile to Babylon for their unfaithfulness. Now the first who lived in their possessions in the cities uh, were Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the temple servants. And now we start focusing on these people who have come back. 
mostly focusing on, guess what, which three tribes? Judah, Benjamin, and Levi received the most notice here. Uh, and particularly focusing on Levi. You've got the priests that came back in 10 through 13. You have the Levites who came back in 14 to 34. You have the genealogy of them in 14 to 16. In verse 17, you have which Levites? The gatekeepers and some of the things that they were supposed to do in 24 to 27. And then you have some additional work for them in 28 to 32. So, you have the, the various people who came back. We've had genealogies of all the tribes, well, except for Zebulun and, and uh, uh, Dan, and now the genealogy of those who've come back from the captivity in chapter 9, verses 1 to 30, uh, 34. And then in 35 to 44, we have the genealogy of Saul again, as we now are going to move in to the death of Saul. So, uh, we did the first nine chapters in an hour. At this rate, we'll be done today, but we won't stay at this rate. I appreciate you following me through that. I know that's the most tedious part of this whole study, and it does have to come at first, but it came when you all stayed awake, at least. And, uh, and there's some interesting things about that, uh, and it does summarize their history, but it really brings us down to some narratives that we'll be able to sink our teeth in more and perhaps uh, find more interesting for us. Do you have anything you want to say about chapters 1 to 9? All right, let's do something here. I'd like for us to do chapter 10, and then we'll take a break. But let me tell you something before we do that, and that is, you all look pretty alert, really. Uh, this is cool. But after we've studied for, you know, another 25 hours uh, each day, uh, you may not look quite so alert. So feel free if you want to stand up. Just don't, you know disturb your neighbor, or whatever, but stand up, if, or whatever you need to do to stay awake and to stay alert, uh, that's not a problem. I uh, won't be upset by that or anything like that. So, but we will go ahead and do chapter 10, and then we'll take a break. So would somebody read chapter 10, verses 1 to 7? Now the Philistines fought at Israel, against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines, and fell down slain in Mount Gaboah. And the Philistines followed hard after Saul and after his sons. The Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Malchishua, sons of Saul. And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers overtook him, and he was distressed by reason of the archers. Then said Saul unto his armor-bearer, Draw thy sword, and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took his sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he likewise fell upon his sword and died. So Saul died and his three sons, and all his house died together. And when all the men of Israel that were in the valley saw that, saw that, they fled. And that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook their cities and fled. And the Philistines came and dwelt in them. All right. We have the battle between who? <coughs> Israel and the Philistines. The Philistines were the, the real enemy at this period of time. The Philistines lived generally where? Which, which direction from Israel? West, maybe slightly southwest. And uh, so Saul's fighting against the Philistines. Uh, does that surprise you from what you know about Saul? 
Do you remember what the original mission God gave Saul was? Look back at 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 16. When God first anointed uh, Saul as king, who did the anointing? Samuel. 1 Samuel 9, 16. What was God's mission for Saul? To deliver the people from, from the hand of the Philistines. Well, how do you think Saul did on his mission? Yeah, it wasn't so good. You're supposed to deliver the Israelites from them, and you end up getting killed by them. <laughs> that was probably not what the Lord wanted from Saul, certainly. Um, he had even had some initial success over the Philistines. But because of his unfaithfulness to God, God used the Philistines to actually kill not only Saul, but who else? His sons, three of them at least, in verse 2. Saul was wounded in what method? Yeah, shot an arrow at him. Would you think about that? Is there anything that you think is ironic about Saul being killed by an archer? Well, he did try to spear David on various occasions. Anybody else know anything? What tribe did Saul come from? And Benjamin had a certain uh, fame because of skilled archers. Now, there's several passages throughout the Old Testament that, that mention that. So it's kind of ironic that Saul from Benjamin would end up getting uh, killed, really, by archers. And he took his own life, but he was badly wounded and probably would have died uh, anyway, um, so that's, that's kind of an interesting uh, uh, thought. Um, so, uh, Saul died. And did you notice how many times it said that in these verses? He died, he died, he died, he died, he died. We, we know that quite well. Um, and when he dies, it's really an indication that God is not only uh, rejecting him, but rejecting his whole dynasty. Most of his sons die with him. God is shifting gears in the plan for the people. After all, do you remember why God chose Saul as king for the people in the first place? They wanted a king, and what kind of a king did they want? A king that would do what? That would lead them, fight their battles for them, and be like the other nations. And so God gave them just what they wanted. Tall, dark, and handsome. Great warrior. A little shallow, not very spiritual, but is the king like they were looking for. When God rejected Saul as king, he chose what kind of a king next? After his own heart, the kind of king he wanted. And he was quite different, and that's what we'll notice uh, here. There's a, there's a point we might make about that, too, because Saul, the death of Saul leads into David. What do you learn from that? The nation can be badly defeated and God can give new hope to them. That's an important message for the post-exilic audience of the writer of Chronicles. They can be down now, but they can be revived if they turn back to God. I think that's a, there's a lot of things that you'll be able to see in Chronicles that fit this after-captivity period when probably the book of Chronicles was written. All right, anything you want to say through verse 7? 8 to 12. It came about the next day when the Philistines came to strip the stones. 
But they found Saul and his son fallen on Mount Gilboa. So they stripped him and took his head and his armor and sent messengers around the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to their idols and to the people. They put his armor in the house of their gods and fastened his head in the house of Dagon. When all of Jabesh Gilead heard all that the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and took away the body of Saul and bodies of his son and brought them to Jabesh. What did the Philistines do when they found Saul? <coughs> yeah! Why would they do that? Yeah! A trophy to honor their gods. Because why did they think they won the victory? Their gods gave them the victory, so we're going to take... Uh, the armor and even his head, and, and use it kind of as a, a trophy to honor the gods that had given them the victory over the God of Israel. That's the way they would have looked at that. Um, I want you to think about that a little bit. Uh, I wonder if that reminds you of anything that had happened a little earlier in the history of the dealings of Israel with the Philistines. What does it remind you of? The ark, yeah, that, I wasn't thinking about that, but that's true. I'm thinking of something just fairly recently in the history of Israel and the Philistines. Yes, with Goliath. What had happened with Goliath? Yeah, they did cut off his head, but what happened that's parallel to this with Goliath? The sword was where? In the tabernacle, right? How do we know Goliath's sword was in the tabernacle? David got it. Where? In what chapter of 1 Samuel? Anybody know? 21. When he was fleeing from Saul and uh, he made a really, pulled a real boner in trying to defect to Gath with Goliath's sword in hand. It was not the wise move on his part. But anyhow... The, the Goliath sword had come into the tabernacle, sort of a, a victory prize for the Lord who'd given the victory. So it's natural that the Philistines felt the same way, did the same thing. They did not understand this was the God of Israel that actually gave uh, Saul into their hands. For them, this was the victory of their God. But um, look at verse 11 and 12. Who helped Saul honor Saul's memory by taking his body and his son's bodies back and giving him a decent burial. The men of Jabesh Gilead. Now, does Jabesh Gilead ring any bells? They were going to lose their right eyes because of the threats of Nahash the Ammonite, and who delivered them? Saul. First and last thing you did. Yeah, it's probably true. Does that remember, remind you of anything else about Jabesh Gilead? Wasn't that where the ark was taken after it was brought back to the country? No. That was somewhere else. Don't ask me where. But it's, there's some other connection between Jabesh Gilead and Saul's ancestors. Yeah, there's some connection between the Benjamites and Jabesh Gilead. I have to clear out some cobwebs in your head. The Benjamites and Jabesh Gilead. 
Yes! Killed off the men of Jabesh Gilead and gave 200 virgins, no, 400 virgins, to the Benjamites as wives. So there's a family tie-in between Jabesh Gilead and Benjamin. Anybody know where that, what book that's found in? Judges. Anybody know what chapter? Yeah, very good. All right. So uh, there's, there's constant tie-ins between uh, Jabesh Gilead and the Benjamites leading down to Saul. So it's appropriate that it would be the men of Jabesh Gilead that take and give him an honorable burial. Honorable burials were important among the Jews. All right, coming some questions through verse 12. All right, 13 and 14. Now we find out why Saul died. We thought Saul died because the Philistines were a lot more powerful than the Israelites. That's not the case. That's only at the surface level. But what's the real reason Saul died? He disobeyed God. Um, wonder what he's thinking about. That, and maybe even more so with uh, him not utterly exterminating the Amalekites, uh, but both of those he trespassed against the word of the Lord, and also because, yeah, he consulted that witch at Endor in 1 Samuel 28, and because, which is a big thing. One of the things we're going to see over and over again in Chronicles, you need to turn to the Lord and trust in the Lord and inquire the Lord, and if you don't turn to the Lord but turn to something else, the Lord will punish you. He didn't turn the right place. He didn't turn to the Lord. He turned to this medium. And therefore, who killed him? God did. It wasn't the Philistines when it's all said and done. It was the Lord. The results of war are really God's work. Superficially, it looks like just human actors, but really God's behind this. And as a result of this, God gave the kingdom from Saul to David. And that's what we'll study uh, as far as David for the rest of First Chronicles. But I think this would be a good time to uh, take a five or ten minute break. And you, can, you know, stretch your legs, get a drink, use the bathroom, or you know, whatever. Okay. All right. So.